So the big question is this. How are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base? How do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race, and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number 63. Greetings and salutations, Real Estate Undergrounders. This is Ed Matthews with the Real Estate Underground podcast. Uh, today, I am actually speaking with Becca Hintergaard of Hint Investments. Um, one of the things we've realized as we were getting ready for this call is that we probably worked in the same neighborhoods back in the Bay Area uh, way back when when I was a techie and uh, she was a medical device uh, executive. And so small world. But uh, Becca, welcome to the welcome to the show, and thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. It's a absolutely. pleasure to be here. So, so one of the things that I, I, I was absolutely fascinated by, you have a uh, report that's out, and we'll talk about it in detail in a little while. But um, talking about working or moving internationally, working internationally, and investing in real estate, and so you know, one of the things that I was curious about um, in in your uh, operation, you know, obviously you've had a career uh, where you've, uh, you know, I, I, I assume been all over the country and possibly all over the world to work. And, you, you know, you could have done anything. There was a lot of, there's a lot of asset classes, technology, medical technology, uh, you know, obviously multifamily uh, and you chose real estate. And I'm curious, you know, what, what drew you into the real estate world as opposed to, you know, some of the other places where you could apply that big brain of yours? Right. Well, I guess the motivation initially was I needed a tax deduction. I was, uh, there you go. <laughs> and I needed a place to live, those right. two things. So I bought my first property in San Francisco, a duplex in San Francisco, which, yep. which was a house hack. And that provided both the, the tax deduction and the passive income from the lower unit while I lived in the upper unit. So it was sort of by default. Yep. And, um, <laughs> And that that experience from that building made me realize the the power of passive income. Absolutely, and I fell in love with real estate from then forward. And so, I'm just curious, how long ago was that? Oh my gosh, that was gosh a while ago. I mean, that was 18 years. I had okay. the building for 18 years, and this was a place that you know I'm glad I did it then. I would never do it now. It was a tremendous lift, an old Victorian building in San Francisco that's, um, you know, two inches crooked from one side, right. from the left side to the right, as these old Victorians in earthquake towns right. happen to be. And, um, you know, we blew out the backside and rebuilt the whole back and uh, put supporting beams in the garage um, to have a garage and charge another $500 rent and just a massive, tremendous, huge lift in a condo conversion. I'm glad I did it, but there's an easier way. And so from then forward, I said, okay, <laughs> this real estate business, I don't want to be the only one out there doing this, the lone wolf, the do-it-yourselfer. Right. Uh, I know there's another path to this Absolutely. with syndications and passive income. And so the the quest began. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously, you know, one of the things that, that I've realized over the years, you know, I started with a four family, so we were kind of kindred spirits and that was a heavy lift for me. And, yeah. uh, you know, and now I've gotten into syndication and, you know, one of the things that I've realized is 
that the motion, the process to buy a duplex or a four family is the exact same process you'd take when you're buying, you know, 150 unit building somewhere else. Right. And so, you know, I, it, obviously there are, you know, different team members, there are more team members, right. Uh, as well as, um, you know, you've got to uh, put your business systems in place and have your technology platform to manage your relationships with your residents, as well as your contractors. But I'm curious, you know, how did you make that leap? I know, you know, I've been doing this for uh, almost, I guess, wow, uh, 15 years, and you've been doing this for about 18 years. And, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, there is a growth process, right. And, you know, there's also that snowball effect of, Hey, a duplex, let's get a six family next. And then, well, that was easy. Why don't we do a 20 unit? Right. And um, so I'm curious, you know, what was that process for you as you grew into being a capital raiser and a syndicator? Right. Yeah. And it, it very much is a journey. It's kind of getting your feet wet. And a lot of people start out with small multifamilies or single family homes. Yep. And it's a lot of work at that level. Um, and often a little bit of do it yourself is put into there as well, yep. which is a tough road and, um, and not really very scalable. So after that um, duplex, I did a 12 unit in multifamily. So taking the go. trajectory, exactly as you said, you kind of level up. Right. And that was, you know, I bought it on a short sale uh, mm -hmm. out in Kansas city. And that was great for a while. Um, but a lot learned there. I call that my training ground because there was everything that many things went wrong, including the property manager in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, and what I also learned from that is, you know, I don't want to be the lone wolf out there. Those right. two experiences from the from the being the sole owner, and especially a sole owner out in in a um, a state that's not where you live, right, is is pretty tricky. Also, even with if you start with money in this business, you eventually run out. So yes. you're looking for partners, right? <laughs> um, so. From there, I realized partnering up, um, passive income investing, um, scaling my portfolio was going to be the way to success. So I began investing in uh, as a limited partner in other syndications just to sit back and kind of an armchair approach and watch how these things are done. Right. Smart. Yeah. And so, you know, as you grew from that two unit to the 12 unit into limited partners. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, what were those first uh, LP roles? What, what were those uh, investments like in terms of size and area and all that? Yeah, well, um, actually, this is I'm kind of the crash test dummy of real estate investing, I think, because <laughs> now that you're asking, it didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> that first passive deal um, actually went kind of sideways. Okay. So, um, and and I sat back going, I am so glad I'm not on the general partnership here. I'm just as passive investor watching this train wreck tank place in front of me. Um, but I learned a lot. And one of the things I would have done better is know the sponsors a lot better and vet yeah. them. Um, you know, I met these people at a, a real estate syndication conference and mm -hmm. they had a deal and it looked good and everybody seemed nice. But in hindsight, there were very, a lot of red flags uh, okay. wrong with their business plan. Um, 
And I mean, I could go on and on uh, about. Yeah, I'd it, love but... to. I'd love to learn more about that. So, so when you met these, <laughs> okay, I will. Unnamed... The war stories. Yeah, <laughs> <I'll> be sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I learned just as much from my mistakes as I do from my successes. I actually submit I learned more from my mistakes than my successes. But I agree. Uh, yeah, well, forget them. That's for sure, right? That is yeah. for sure. And you know, I think they're great opportunities to learn and get better, right? So, so with regard to these red flags. Um, was it that the syndicator uh, was inexperienced and they were overestimating their abilities or was it uh, something else? Well, um, they were fairly, you know, moderately experienced, I would say. Okay. Um, but there were some key things that they didn't consider. Uh, okay. One of them being the uh, renovating the clubhouse and putting in a bathroom that would re require the American Disability Act's okay. compliance. Yeah. It's very extremely expensive. Anybody who's dealt with that before, right. we would deal with this in, in hospitals. My husband and I were medical device reps selling mm -hmm. CT and MRI scanners. The cost to put a bathroom in our home, I don't know, $7,000 to put a bathroom in a hospital with the American Disability Act clearance, everything you need is almost $200,000. Holy moly. So it's a tremendous difference. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, that's one of the things they did terribly wrong. And then, you know, do you remember in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the Purple Bible that everybody's yeah. read? There's a point where Robert Kiyosaki was going to buy his first investment, as I recall. It was a condo in Honolulu. And he said to his rich dad, oh, I'm going to buy this. And his, his rich dad said, well, do you know that there's a massive public works project, a sewer replacement in front of that property? And it's going to take many, many months. And then what you can plan on is another six months beyond what they say, because they often take too long and then right. they run out of money and need to go seek money. And that's exactly what happened. If you recall in that book. Yes. So he went back, did, he passed on that, bought another one on another street and then went back to that first condo and bought it in a distressed sale for like right. half the price. For pennies. Yes. Brilliant. Right. So what did so, so on our passive deal, that's kind of what happened. There was a massive public works project in front of the building. Um, it was a sewer line replacement. It it took months and months and ran out of money. They had to go back for more money. It blocked the entrance of the property such that it's like a three-lane road to get in, and you have to turn your car so far to the right and almost flip your car to get into the driveway during our lease up. Oh my so goodness. people that were living there were trying to leave, let alone trying to rent it up, right? Uh, lease it up. So, I mean, it, it was one of about five things that went sideways. Wow. That. So from your perspective, you know, when you're evaluating property today, knowing that experience, right? Um, you know, how would you avoid that? If, you know, let's say, you're obviously, at that point, you were in the Bay Area, you're looking in hypothetically Kansas City, um, you know, without getting on a plane, uh, I assume you did anyway, but, um, you know, how are you able to uncover something like that when you don't have access, you're not living there, you're not driving by that property on a daily basis? Right, right. Well, you you need to look in this, when you do your research on the property, you need to look into the city and what kind of things are planned. These yep. things are posted, right. as well as what kind of new developments are going up. Yes. Uh, another so, thing with that was, 
we were underinsured. I mean, we were insured, but we weren't insured for the degree of the slip and fall that happened later. So you really oh need goodness. to check the insurance. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot to this. And what I wish at that time, Ed, is I had somebody to vet these deals for me. Yep. Because who has time for all this, right? You're working your W-2 job, just trying to get enough get money by. to put food on the table for the get by. And, right. you know, who has time to go into the, the city of Texas and figure out if there's going to be a sewer line replacement in front right. of the property? You right. need someone to do this for you. Yeah. And so uh, do you have someone that you count on to do all your underwriting right now? I have somebody for underwriting, yeah. yeah. But what, what I do, my business model is has stemmed from my experience as a passive investor and things that went sideways. And I vet these deals for myself and, and my passive investors. And we go into um, these deals together as sort of a group on approach, you know, yep. and everything's well vetted three, three rounds of underwriting. Yeah. And I have my checklist based on my past experiences. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> Good Smart. and bad. Yeah. And that's good though. You know, cause so one of the ways, in addition to looking at the, you know, the city or town's 10 year plan um, you know, the other thing, and, and I got this actually from my mentor, uh, Charles Dobbins that, uh, you know, he, he got me to um, you know, the target markets. We actually uh, subscribe to the local newspapers as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we know about, the convention center that's being considered down the street and the, you know, the, the, the street work and, and infrastructure work that's coming six months down the road that, you know, you wouldn't know about if you didn't pick up the, you know, the, uh, our hometown times. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot you, you need to do in order to protect your investors and obviously protect the asset. Right. Absolutely. Smart. And, you know, insurance is, is one of the things that, you know, in my experience, almost everyone gets wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's because they 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 underestimate not only the they, they may overestimate the value of the building, but underestimate the replacement cost of the building. And if something bad happens, uh, you know, you are you and your investors are on the hook and you're in, you, you've got a problem if, you know, you have a building that is going to take five million dollars to replace and you have you have it uh, insured for three and a half million because you only paid two and a half million for it. Right. 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 Scary. Scary. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot of boxes to check in this. And um, the typical passive investor isn't going to do all of these. So right. it's best to align yourself with someone that will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we've gone from the duplex to the 12 unit and we moved on to the limited partnership where, uh, and it may have been more than one. Uh, that you invested in. How did you make the jump? When did you know you were ready to make the jump from limited partner to general partner and run and sponsor a deal yourself? Yeah, it actually took a little while, may I say, because those two experiences were not great. Okay. And I, I was loathing and self-doubt thinking maybe I got this wrong. Maybe this business wasn't for me. How could I, you know, miss these key points? Sure. So I sat it out for a little while. I have um, two kids 18 months apart that really occupy quite a bit of my time. So it was a, a good time to sit it out and see what happens in the real estate market. Yep. But it um, it took a bit to sort of get back on the horse, as they say. Yep. Um, I joined a mentorship, and um, that was very helpful in building my confidence again that it yep. wasn't anything. I mean, there were some things I did wrong, but things just happen. 
Right. But things happen in real estate. Sure. And um, and setting up the correct systems to make sure that I I'm sure that that doesn't happen again. Indeed. And aligning myself with other partners. This is very much a group sport. Yep. So the the realization of that from going from a, from owning your own um, properties to actually a group mindset is a big jump. It is. Because you're putting trust in a group. And yeah. that's a that's actually a pretty hard step I had found. It is because letting go, you know, it's a control thing, right? Um, but it's also, it's, it's a trust issue, right? And mm-hmm. so you've got to create those relationships and understand the value systems from which your partners are operating from. And you've obviously got to be transparent about what you're operating from. Um, and, and also, uh, then you've got to figure out, you know, from a goal perspective, are we aligned? Do, do we all want the same thing, Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I always, I I always used to, to think to myself, you know, if, and I've said it out loud as well as, you know, my corporate world days, uh, if I walked into a room of my team and I was of my, you know, filled with my team. And if I was the smartest person in the room, we were all in a lot of trouble and, Oh yeah. Find another room. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I, you know, I, that, that holds true today as well. Right. If I walk into a closing room, or, you know, a conference room and, and our team is there and, and I'm the one that's, you know, expected to figure it all out where are we in trouble? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Right. That's right. And especially as you get into these big deals, there's a lot to do. You need, you need professional underwriters, you know, Absolutely. institutional grade underwriting is what we'd like to see. You, yeah. you need someone boots on the ground in these markets that you're going to be investing in. Absolutely. So there's a lot to it. So, so when you, I'd, I'd like to, you had mentioned something about a checklist and I'd, I'd love to uh, learn a little bit about that. So when you work your checklist, um, you know, are you looking at uh, just the numbers or what are some of the other elements within that, that, uh, that underwriting process that you're looking at in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, location and demographics and, and all the other things that go into uh, underwriting, you know, what are some of the things that you really pay attention to and think, and you think that matter? Right. Well, it starts with the area. So the idea is pocket listings in good areas. We look for A and A minus and B class assets, garden style. Um, I'm at the point we don't do, we don't invest in C class assets anymore. Okay. Um, we look at that area. Does the asset match the area? Does mm-hmm. that asset class, is it a B property uh, and is it in a B area or is it in a C area? Because right. we certainly don't want that. Um, we're open to C plus plus assets that are in an A and B area, of course. So you can reposition uh, it. Yeah, that makes sense. And you could reposition it. Yeah. But yeah. And the strategy is light value add. We're not into very deep value adds okay. uh, anymore. So we look at the area pretty closely. We look at the crime of that area. Um and uh, the gen- demographic, the income, then once it passes that, then we begin our underwriting. But half the deals are thrown out just as that alone. Sure. So yeah, if the um, obviously if the local you know uh, per capita income isn't three x you know the target rent, then game over, right? There's no need game to over. right? Yeah, yeah. So so you so it go you look you look at a property or a, a portfolio and you see that okay. Uh, target location lines up with with our vision in terms of what we want to execute. What are some of the other things that you look at, you know, as you dig a little deeper into a property? 
Yep. So once it passes all the location parameters, and that includes crime rate, income, does the asset uh, class match the area, yep. uh, then we jump into the underwriting. And then that's a whole a whole nother thing. But, um, you know, we have to estimate the taxes and insurance. And in Texas, that can be pretty tricky. Texas yeah. is one of our primary markets now. We love Texas and Dallas in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 10,000 people a month that move to Dallas. Wow, Most of them really? Californians. Yeah. It is just insane. So that market wow. just keeps giving. I know, I know. And that's a, a key factor in what we look for in choosing these markets. Positive migration, population yep. growth, job growth, diversity of income in these markets. Yep, yep, smart. So. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, a few minutes ago, you know, you used to be in C, I think I inferred that you used to be in C and you no longer focus on C or, or look at that as potential investments. Um, is that because, and, and you also mentioned, you know, light value add. So I, I, I have a feeling those two things are related. So I'm, I'm curious what made you kind of make the move out of C and focus on, you know, your B, B plus, A minus type properties. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the C-class uh, tenant base and asset class is a tough one to manage on many respects. Mm-hmm. The buildings are older. Yep. Um, the tenant class is harder to manage mm-hmm. in the sense that um, these are the first uh, tenants to fall upon crisis when when there's a financial crisis, as we saw with the pandemic. Right. Neil Bawa put out some interesting data on it. And he says, you know, the average C-class tenant has $400 in the bank. Saw that. And he's he's the data guy. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So yeah. how are you going to raise the rent 150 bucks or 200 bucks for someone who has 400 bucks in the bank? Right. Well, you can't. So they leave. So then you have, you know, it's, then you have a vacancy upon your turnover, mm-hmm. which you usually have anyway. Um, but, you know, these older buildings are often, there's, there's so many more layers of the onion. It looks good on paper and you start peeling back the onion and there's deferred maintenance. And even if you account for that, there's more behind that layer of the onion. Without a doubt. So we we have just found it to be an easier tenant base and um, and age of building in the B class. Our, our dream is like a 1980s B class garden style asset in a B plus or A minus area. Gotcha. Um, so that we have found to be a lot easier to manage. Yeah. And so and property managers also, that's another thing is they prefer B class assets and A's. Well, it makes their job easier, right? Right. <laughs> right. So of course they do. Um, yeah. So so the other thing you mentioned is light uh, value add. So what does, how would you define that in in terms of your own business model? Well, here's how I wouldn't define it. We okay. have a hotel conversion right now in Arizona. Exciting. And we, it's this fun. These are really fun hotel conversions. Yeah. They are, I mean, they're deep value add. So it's, sure. it's pretty cool to watch these take place. That's yeah, a huge uh, transformation. This was a huge. I mean, this was a hundred unit uh, quality in that we're taking down to 65 units of multifamily in Arizona. Massive lift, massive, massive. Um. And that has been a fun project. We bought this for 30 cents on the dollar. So we bought right, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. So on, on the other side of things, 
in with these changing times, kind of with the people talking about a recession, um, we're not looking to go into really deep value adds, nothing like that. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe a light, you know, paint on cabinets, a little bit of flooring, but right. no gutting of units and taking it all down to studs, right. like we're doing with our hotel conversion. One of the deals we just did is in Dallas, which is a, a kind of a dream deal. It's 536 units in Dallas, B-class asset, and yep. exactly what I'm talking about, light value add, right? cash flows from the start. So... Wonderful. So, so, you know, the other thing Peaceful. that I think, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, almost then uh, the, <laughs> so the, you know, the other thing I think about when, you know, I, I, I hear light value add is, you know, management, right. So, you know, in my tech world, my techie days, I was a procurement and sourcing guy. Right. So, you know, I always look at an expense envelope and say, okay, there's gotta be a place where I can, lower expenses or create economies of scale or, you know, find a way to create NOI, you know, it doesn't always have to be raising rents, although a lot of times it is, it can also be, you know, sourcing your landscaping and sourcing your snow removal. If you're in that part of the world and snow and sourcing your trash removal and, you know, all of that um, and being smart about the contractors you hire and, you know, making sure that a, you hire quality ones, but also really efficient ones. And, um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's activities like that as well. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I agree entirely. If you can incorporate operational efficiencies into things, then there's your value add right there. And right. I'd much prefer a deal where we could put in operational efficiencies, lower the water bill, um, you know, look at all the contract services, yep. see if they're being billed properly, increase some of the contract services like, right. you know, valet trash. Right. And cable. Um, so that's the easiest play, of course. Sure. Rubs, rubs, that's a no brainer. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, fascinating. So, um, and, and so, you know, the, the types of properties you mentioned, a 530 some odd uh, unit in Dallas, that's a, that's a great win. Congratulations. Um, so, you know, in terms of your business today, uh, so, you, you know, one of the things that I think I heard you say is, and it was, it was, uh, actually prior to us starting hitting the record button was, you know, not only are you still a syndicator, uh, but you're also raising capital as well. And I assume, is that more of a, a as a limited partner or are you, uh, you know, is it more of a fund of funds kind of approach where you're playing a role in the GP, you know, you're bringing a, a pile of, of capital to a, a general partnership? Like, what is your, what's your approach there? Mm-hmm. Ed, my goal is to live my life in Costa Rica on the beach, supported by passive income from real estate. Amen. So what I do is I combine my money and investor money in deals that kick off a good amount of passive income for us. Okay. So we can all do that. Yep. Many of my investors are people that are straddling two lives, you know, in Panama and the U.S. or in Costa Rica and the U.S. and, and... I could talk to these people all day long. I absolutely love it. And we're on about, you know, the same path. It's investing um, in passive income deals to support our life overseas. And how that looks for me is in vetting these deals for my investors. Mm -hmm. I go through all these things in the checklist that we previously talked about. Then I combine my money with their money. And it's kind of a Groupon approach, bring a million bucks to a deal 
Yep. Uh, we choose the best operators in my target market because, you know, you talk to operators and they'll say, okay, what's your best deal? Oh, and they'll tell you. So don't think every operator, every deal within that operator is good. They have their favorite child as we sure. all do. Sure. Like let's admit it. Right. <laughs> so, um, what I want is the favorite child in each day. In, I don't, right. don't tell my kids. <laughs> Fortunately, they're at school. <laughs> um, but what I, I, I look for is the best deal from the most qualified operators in my target market. And okay. then we bring our chunk of cash to that. Excellent. Excellent. And so you mentioned something that is near and dear to my heart. I was just talking about this with that with my business coach, as a matter of fact, about what's next. And, you know, one of the things that I, I had mentioned was, uh, you know, having a business that I could walk away from and it still would operate without me uh, and send me uh, mailbox money on a monthly and, and quarterly basis. And it seems like um, as we've gotten to know each other, you have that figured out. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Well, I'm, I'm you know, for those, for <laughs> well, those at least I'm are, 80% there. Yeah. So for those of you who are on video watching this, uh, this interview, um, I'm looking at Becca's absolutely stunning backyard and I'll let you tell everybody where you are, but, uh, oh. but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, she's living the dream that I think a lot of us are aspiring to. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, yeah, you bet. Well, for anybody on YouTube, this is a, a snapshot of our backyard in one of the many Airbnbs we stayed in in Costa Rica. So what happened is during the pandemic, uh, my husband and I, we decided to leave it all behind. We're the white, what was that? The great resignation, the yes. white collar workers that told their employers, adios, See ya. and took off. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> We took off for the tropics, so we we rent sold and then rented out everything we had, picked up our two kids then in fifth and sixth grade and moved to Costa Rica, and we lived in a boutique surf and yoga hub in Nosara, Costa Rica, learning how to surf, um, doing yoga several times a week, and living on, off passive income from real estate investing. Amazing. We were there, eighty percent supported by passive income, primarily from multifamily. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And so now that we've progressed through the pandemic, uh, where are you in 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 the world uh, these days? Where do you spend your time? Yes, it's a tricky equation. We are straddling two worlds right now, both yeah. in Costa Rica and then back in the Bay Area. Gotcha. We have found that the kids really miss the grandparents that are sure. in their 80s. So sure. that's a tricky thing. Our whole family's in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, we love our life in Costa Rica. So we're sort of straddling yeah. two worlds. And, and but, have you gone back to corporate America or have you gotten to the point where your passive income supports you entirely? No, no corporate America. I don't think I can ever go back. <laughs> you know, once, once you realize that you're climbing the corporate ladder, but the, the ladder was against the wrong wall, you right. know, what was, I want to go back to my 30 year old self and enlighten myself yes. and say, why didn't, why didn't you think of this sooner? How could we, right. I don't know why we didn't figure this out sooner. It's okay. But With each am, comes wisdom. It does. You're right. It does. It, and it's all, you really have to embrace the journey. Um, Absolutely. So it's it's all part of the, the journey. But where I am now, Ed, is really educating people that this life is possible. You can, within a surprisingly short amount of time, cue up your life 
to have enough passive income to straddle two lives, to go live yeah. in another country half half the year if you want to, or the full year. Right. Um, and what you'll find when you do that is that things are often a lot less expensive overseas. True. So you have the currency arbitrage where the dollar is pretty strong in other countries. Yeah. You have a lower cost of living, certainly a lower cost of healthcare. Right. Um, so I have a little email series that teaches people how to do that. Oh, I'd love to hear and, about it. I'd love to learn all about that. What's oh the so it's a report of some sort, I assume, right? Or an email? It's a it's a report, yep, uh, that rolls everything up, and then it's a, an email campaign which will teach you, um, you know, how to find health insurance in other countries and how to choose your dream destination. But it starts with a quick ebook, which is called Six Steps to Put Your Income on Autopilot and Move Overseas. Um, you can find that at uh, Hint Investments, so www.hint, H-I-N-T, investments with an S, Dot com, and that will sh uh, show you a cost of living calculator and how to determine where the cost of living where you want to go. It shows you some of the best places for expats, mm -hmm. uh, some of the least expensive places for expats. So there's various calculators to help people refine this vision. Yeah, so excellent. It's, it starts there. And so when you're not uh, traveling and uh, or straddling your your multiple worlds. Uh, and you're not investing in real estate, you know, how do you and your husband and your kids, how do you like to spend your time? What else do you do? Well, we're a pretty active family. So yeah. we're learning to surf this year, which is just great. Oh, Our fun. kids are good at it out there, ripping the waves. My husband and I were like the geriatric surfers out there, but <laughs> <laughs> we're making it happen. <laughs> right. Well, as a, as a fellow geriatric, uh, I admire the fact that you're you've gone head first into uh, a surfing career. So congrats, head first. Yeah, very, literally, right? Very well said. Literally and figuratively. Literally, right? Well, that's wonderful. And um, so you had mentioned your website. Uh, if 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 folks are looking to you know learn more about you, or uh, obviously they have the the website to go to to go get that ebook. Um, you know, what are some of the other ways that they can follow your, your story and, and learn more about you and get in touch with you if they want? You bet. You bet. You can find me on LinkedIn under Becca Hint, H-I-N-T, or Hintergart, my very long married last name. That's hard to spell. So look for Becca Hint, probably easier. Or you could email me directly at Becca at HintInvestments.com. I'd love to he hear your story and help you calculate how to live this beautiful life straddling two worlds, two, well, two countries. Consider me inspired. I'm going to, I'm going to download the ebook and I'll probably share it with my wife and who knows, we may be neighbors someday. I would love it. Yeah. We'll be out there on the waves together, Ed. Wipe All it right. out together. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, Becca Hintergart of Hint Investments. Thank you so much for your time today. It's really been an honor and a treasure and a pleasure to, to meet with you and learn more about you and your business and uh, I wish you well in the coming years and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Ed. It's been such a pleasure. I really have enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thank likewise. you so much. Thanks, Becca. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a Clark Street Capital presentation. Thanks for joining us. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about Clark Street Capital and our upcoming projects, please join our investor club at 
clarkst.com slash join. Until next time, happy investing.